Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another good day. God, we thank you for a season where we so intently remember, uh, but Lord, also what a great reminder of how we look forward to you coming again. And God, this morning, as we explore scripture and open it up, Father, by your word and by your spirit, that you would lead us and teach us. We love you, Jesus, in your name, amen. For years, my dad and I had a tradition, and um, as school ended, like, you know, you'd have the graduation ceremony or that kind of thing, and then we would come home, and then right away we would pack up, and we would head out west, and dad had developed a a friendship with a rancher out by Wall, South Dakota, and so we would drive out there, get out there, and then for about four or five days, we would camp out and help with their roundup and their branding, and I mean, so it was all day in the saddle, and of course, we weren't used to that, and so, you know, just jumping into that was always kind of interesting and and made you a little bit sore and and that kind of thing and um and it you know big event lots of fun you know all the you know because they you know those events they all do together right like it's always a a community event so everyone always shows up with their horses and round up all day and then branding and we loaded up everything dad had still has a, a, a 75 cj5 jeep and we loaded everything into that we had a homemade chuck box and then you had like two saddles and the tack and, you know, big wall tent and sleeping bags and guns and clothes and everything else. And it only fit in there one way. Um, And to this day, I can still picture, like, where everything went because we spent a lot of time figuring that out, kind of the the 3D Tetris kind of type thing. But we we would pack for weeks for that. I don't know. Maybe it was months. But, I mean, it was like the packing easily took much longer than the event itself right and lists and like lists of your lists which is a sign you probably have too many lists and you know big deal the packing was a big deal but to this day i still love packing now last minute packing i hate that's awful but if it's a big event fun event lots of anticipation to pack well pack smart take just what you need, like, that is still, that's still fun for me, right? Um, Joe, not so much. That's, that's kind of one of our things, right? Um, but I love, I love the packing and, and the preparation and the anticipation, because we would, we'd pack for weeks, and then, you know, we'd come home from graduation, and, like, the clothes were laid out, and the Jeep was loaded up, and so we'd change, load up, and then we'd get out there at, like, 2 a.m., and, you know, set up the tent, and, and all of this kind of stuff. Christmas has a lot of that, that same feel, where it's the anticipation that really helps make it such a good experience, right? Like, I mean, and I think that's why, you know, you, you see the Christmas stuff in the stores just like earlier and earlier and er, like we've almost forgotten Thanksgiving, you know, like we're just straight into Christmas like two months, months early, right? Because I think we love the anticipation of this holiday 
And it seems to me that, like, in, so in the secular realm, there seems to be lots of emphasis on the family and on the gifts. And, and even, like, the other thing, too, is that you'll hear people talk, even in the secular realm, about, like, the spirit of Christmas, right? Because it just, it has a different vibe, it has a different feel, it has a kind of a different culture around it, right? Like, there's something palpable that, that, that's different, and, and a strong sense of nostalgia, I think, comes with Christmas, especially if you have good family memories, right? Because you had those good family memories, and so there's nostalgia, and we're wanting to repeat that, right? Now, and, and there's kind of a, a whole aside that, that, that we could do. I mean, I, we recognize, I, I recognize that for some, the holidays are actually harder, um, just because it may highlight that this is the first year alone, or the first year without, or that kind of thing. And so there, there is a sense of that, too, where it's, it, Christmas almost kind of accentuates whatever's going on with family, good or bad, right? Like, things are great, Christmas is great. If things are hard, then, you know, like, let's just get Christmas over with. But then within the Christian culture, I mean, we celebrate Christmas, but there's also this strong sense of looking back, like when Jesus was born, and again, this strong sense of nostalgia, right? Like we really like to emphasize the remembering, the the looking back, the giving thanks um, for what happened. But this year, I think more than any other year, I've really been convicted that it's, it's not that we're, that, that we're missing the point of Christmas, but there's a whole section of Christmas that we are missing out on. Because if our vision for Christmas goes to December 25 or December 26 and then ends, I think we're missing out in, in a pretty significant way. Advent means the coming of Christ, right? Or at least the arrival of someone special. We use it for the coming of Christ. And I think Christmas, more than any other holiday, has the power to remind us that even for us, we wait. And that even for us, we anticipate. And that even for us, like, we prepare. Christmas, possibly more than any other holiday that, that we will engage in this year, has the power to remind us that Jesus is coming again a second time. And I think if our vision only goes to December 25, only goes to December 26, and doesn't also kind of encapsulate this reminder that, that Jesus is, is coming again, we miss out on this just this profound opportunity to be reminded of that. So this year we're, we're doing an Advent series like we always do. Um, this year, you know, we've been working through a sermon series on Luke, so all of our Advent sermons uh, are going to be coming out of the Gospel of Luke as well, too. And in the weeks that, that are coming up, like we're going to look back on when Jesus was born and what a neat event that was and kind of the earlier parts of that, that story in, in the beginning of Luke. But this year I actually wanted to begin our Advent series actually at the end of Luke, um, but just this, with this strong reminder that we also wait. That, that we also wait. Um, so a little bit of background. Um, in Luke 21, um, I'm not sure, uh, did I write that down right? I may have put Luke 25. Okay, yeah, no, Luke 21. So in Luke 21, uh, just a little bit of setting. 
Uh, Jesus has entered Jerusalem. This is, this is his last week there, and so there's, there's it's like 40% of the Gospels are dedicated to that last week in Jerusalem. And so he has all these interactions, and at one point he's in the temple, and he's talking, teaching, and praying, and that kind of thing. And then he starts to talk about the end times and what it's going to be like when he comes again. Now, some of our end times literature or in Scripture talks about what happens after he comes, right? But in this section, he's talking about the signs and the cues that you're going to see happen on earth prior to his arrival. And so, you know, nations are rising against nations and earthquakes and something about the city of Jerusalem getting surrounded— And then towards the end of the dialogue, he says this. And I'll read this whole section to you, starting in verse 25. There will be signs in sun, moon, and stars. And on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourself and you know that summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly, like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Let me start in the, in the first part of that. So in verse 25, he says this, There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars, and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the seas and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now, all of this could be literal, or it could be figurative. Actually, we're not really sure, right? There is some discussion of revelation, uses seas and large bodies of water, either as um, some say that it's uh, kind of a metaphor for humanity, some say that it's actually a metaphor for evil. So in some ways, that actually works, where if you were to say that the nations were distressed because of the roaring of evil, um, I mean, that, that makes sense. Or, you know, the polar ice caps melt and the ocean levels rise and nations freak out and all the earth worshipers just start to pass out, out of fear. That makes sense too, right? Like, that's, that's an option. Um, Whatever it is, whether this is literal or figurative, suffice to say that millions of people are going to be terrified. Verse 27, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. I had a Bible teacher, um, fascinating thought, but uh, apparently there's a line that talks about all the nations witnessing Jesus returning on a cloud. So, I think probably your two options are either A, when he returns, it'll be televised, 
and we'll all watch it on the news and our phones and our watches and that kind of thing. Or his theory was actually that Jesus would return and there would be 24 hours. The earth would do one full rotation and everyone would get to witness that while he's just kind of camped out there on the clouds for, for 24 hours. Again, uh, we, we don't know. For the unprepared, I think that moment will recalibrate their understanding of fear and terror. For the prepared, that is going to be just the most welcome, wonderful, grateful experience you have ever known. I mean, the sense of relief that he has finally shown up and it's all finally wrapping up will just be one of the greatest moments of your life. And then he gives us an encouraging word. Verse 28, now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And then he gives them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Again, literal or figurative. Uh, some scholars wonder if, if this is a reference to Israel. Uh, sometimes Israel is referred to as a fig tree. Um, maybe so. There was, uh, I don't know if years ago we, we did a sermon series on the seven feasts that are in the Old Testament. Fascinating series. Um, God gave the Israelites seven feasts that they were to celebrate. And if you look at them, each one has a historical component, but each one also has a prophetic component as to, like, what will happen in the future. And each one has a personal spirituality component. And there was, I think it's three feasts that happened in the springtime, and all of those have already been fulfilled when Christ came the first time. The other four feasts are still yet to happen, and in their calendar that they were supposed to celebrate, those four feasts actually happen in the fall. Well, if he's talking about summer, then we're actually in between the three feasts of his first coming of springtime. We're in the summertime, and now we're waiting for the fall when those final four prophetic feasts will, will take place. So, again, right, like how, how much do you take of, of that literally? How much do you take of that figuratively? Is it a mix of both? Um, someday it'll all make a lot of sense. Now it's kind of a bit confusing. But I think the main point in all of that, though, is understanding the times, knowing what, what to look for, and just being aware um, of our surroundings, so to speak, and what's taking place in the world. Kind of a bit of a, a side comment. Jesus makes the, this comment, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And, and we don't have time to, to fully unpack that, but there's actually two massive theological kind of conclusions that we can pull out of that. First is that we get a new heaven and a new earth. And that completely changes how we approach life and, and how we approach dealing with the planet and, and how we approach nature. It is fascinating, and I'll, I'll just stick with the word fascinating for me. You know, but there's, if there is no God, if there is no God, then a healthy planet is crucial for the survival of humans. And many of our world leaders are really acting in accordance with that. To say that if there is no God, then, you know, the earth is our savior and its preservation must take precedence above and beyond all other things. 
Well, we believe that there is a God. We believe that we do get a new heaven and a new earth. And so that completely changes how we handle a lot of these issues, right? I mean, like, we, we need to take care of the earth and we need it functional. But at the same time, we believe we're getting a new one, you know? So huge ideas that we can unpack on that. But also this comment that, that the words of Jesus, that God's word, that scripture is eternal. And I think we can actually con- conclude from that that scripture is without flaw simply because I don't believe that God allows anything into heaven that has flaw. Right? Like, even, like all of us will be made perfect. Like everything in heaven will be perfect. And so the, the words of Jesus will last forever. Uh, the only eternal things you have encountered are people and scripture. Both of those will last forever. Everything else will pass away. Lots of fun stuff that we can unpack on that. And Jesus ends this, this passage then um, with another kind of encouragement or challenge in verse 34. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and stand before the Son of Man. At first, when I read this, I thought the encouragement was to not let our hearts be weighed down by heavy, sad, de- depressing things, right? Like the assumption being that, that we'd be kind of mopey and sad and beaten down. That's because I didn't understand the word dissipation. Um, dissipation is actually pleasure. Uh, it's overindulgence. It, it, it's debauchery, right? So the, the concern is not actually that you'll be sad and depressed and and mopey. The concern is actually that you'll be having fun, indulging, overindulging, drunkenness. And when it talks about the cares of this life, again, I thought those were like heavy, sad things. It's not the heavy, sad things. It's kind of the immoral things that are still kind of fun that we've let ourselves get completely distracted by. And so all of this sort of fun immorality will weigh down your heart and will distract you and you will be completely taken by surprise when Jesus returns. So it's not the sad things that are the problem. It's all the fun, ungodly things that distract us. As we get closer and closer to Jesus returning the second time, there will be increased temptation to get lured into this sleepy, apathetic spiritual life because we're having so much fun with with other stuff the encouragement is to not let ourselves get sleepy or lazy in our spiritual life again uh just kind of another little aside god created pleasure uh god created fun things heaven will be really really fun But there are certain things that are within God's character and within God's commands. And there are other things that are outside God's character and outside God's commands. There is fun that is appropriately balanced and fun that is selfish. I mean, I love it when we as a church and when I hear families celebrating and traveling and family trips and and making memories and all this stuff. I think that's fantastic. But in all of our things, we keep the glory of God and the expansion of his kingdom priority and first and foremost so it's okay to take the family vacation verse 36 
Stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things and that are going to take place and stand before the Son of Man. This, this week I've been really wondering, like, what's the big deal about waiting? And, and, and what's the big deal about, like, knowing when he comes? Like, why all this encouragement to watch for the signs, right? And, and to have a, have a sense of, of that, that things are, are near. Like, what, uh, to a certain extent, like, who cares? Or, like, what, what does it change to stay on top of, of all of this? And I think we could reframe the question like this. Do we, or will we, or should we, live differently if we knew that the end was near? If we had really good reason to believe that Jesus' return was within our generation, like our living generation, that all of us here would live to see that, would we live differently? And I think we would, or will, or should. I, there's lots of words. But I, I, I think we would. I think we often behave differently, and I think that's okay, but I think we often behave differently when we know that the end is near. Right? Like when you, if you're running a race, or a 5K, or whatever. You know, like that last little bit. You run differently than you run the first part of, of the race. Um, I have heard some of you, um, as farmers, talk about the difference in I know I'm the last generation to farm versus I know I have children who will follow me and farm. And people talk about how drastically different of approach that is to farming if you know you're the last generation or if you know that you need to set things up for the, the kids and the grandkids. If a church is contemplating, well, do we build a new building, you know, a multi-million dollar thing, right? Or, but if you know Jesus is going to come back in 20 years, then you probably rethink, like, do we really need that? Because, you know, we no longer need a building that lasts us for 100 years, right? Which I think we're, like, at 95 years or something on this facility, you know? Pretty good. They did a nice job with it. How we approach as a family or a church, you know, finances or savings or, or that, that kind of thing, right? Planning for future generations is just different than planning for now. There, there is a focus, there is an intensity, sometimes a desperation, sometimes a sprint, right? There's just kind of an increased clarity around what's important, and we focus on getting across the, the finish line. Earlier in Luke 19... I mean, really just right before this, Jesus gives the parable of the talents. And some of you are, are probably very familiar with that, but just to summarize it, in the parable, there is a, um, a master, a, a boss, uh, our version would be like an employer. He goes on a vacation. A talent is a sum of money. It's a pretty good sum of money. And he has three, whatever, servants or employees or that kind of thing. And so he leaves some of his money in the stewardship of these employees while he's gone. One gets 10, and one gets 5, and one gets 1. He goes on a trip. He's gone for a back. He comes back. Well, the one who had 10 was really good with it and savvy and invested and whatever and blah, 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 and he's made 10 more. Okay, good job. And then the one who got 5, same thing. Hey, good job. But then the one who had 1 got scared and just buried it in the ground, and then when, when the boss comes back, he's like, well, here it is. I didn't do anything with it. And the boss is, like, in a rage, like, mad. 
And, you know, the guy gets kicked out and totally disgraced and, and all of this. Each of you have been given something, multiple somethings, time, talent, finances, gifts, abilities. Some of you have been given a very clear cause or purpose or, or responsibilities, right? Or I mean, Scripture talks about all of us being given good deeds to complete. And you and I will have to give an account for what we did with that, um, you know, in our lifetime. And it's not acceptable to say, well, you know, I got busy with other things. You know, I, I got distracted by the, 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 the fun and the debauchery that, that, that was referenced in, verse, in chapter 21. God is expecting us to act in accordance with what you've been given. And some people, you know, you look at some people and you're like, that's a ten-talent person, you know. Uh, I think most of us feel like the one-talent person, but, but regardless, like we have been entrusted with, with somebody or with, with some of that. When it comes to Christmas, I love the anticipation, the music, the decorations, the suspense, the family memories. And as, as Christians, I love the Advent and the Christmas carols and remembering the Christ child and retelling the story of his birth but i think as christians in in the 21st century you and i need to be keenly aware of what's taking place and keenly aware of this this second advent and in a way almost thinking more more about that you know on the first advent we light the candle of hope i was thinking about it. hope has nothing to do with the past hope has everything to do with the future Hope has everything to do with the future. And so for that very first candle, we're really not looking backwards. We're really looking forwards. And, and, and thinking about when, when Christ will, will come again. Here's the last thing that I want to do this morning. And then we'll wrap up. And, and we'll see how this goes. My hope is, in a sense, to sort of ruin all of the Christmas carols for you. Um... So, Landon, if you would actually pull up our entire worship set, the songs that, w- that we sang this morning, just start at the very beginning. Well, you're getting that ready. Uh, when I was in Edmonton with Trek, there was a gal there that was, um, just had a really kind of amazing talent and, and ministry. They would take secular songs that were very popular, and she would get like this inspiration in the middle of the night, and then she would write skits, and then the, the church would go out and perform these skits, like in malls or that kind of thing. And it was a secular song, but then she put a skit to it. But what was fascinating is that it completely, completely changed the meaning of the song to a Christian theme. Um, I think it's Justin Timberlake who has a song, Cry Me a River. Okay? I think of Jesus every time because now I picture Jesus saying those words to someone, Cry Me a River, as a way of saying, give me all of your burdens. Um, Goo Goo Dolls have, um, when everything is made to be broken, I just want you to know who I am. That is a completely different message when it is Jesus saying, when everything in this world is broken and almost made to be broken, when everything is broken, I just want you to know who I am. And because of those skits, now when I hear those songs, I think of Jesus, right? Which is kind of weird, but I've explained it to you, so now, now it makes sense. In our Christmas carols, in our Christmas songs. Some of them are very clearly looking back, but there's a lot where you change a word, 
you change a sentence, and now we're looking forward to the second coming. And there's a lot where it is second coming start to finish. And my hope is that this Christmas season, as you are singing and hearing all of these songs, that your mind be completely muddled on, I don't, am I singing past or future? Because I think I might be looking forward, not just looking past. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace, streams of mercy never ceasing. Are we talking about when Jesus came the first time or when he's coming the second time? Next slide. I was lost in utter darkness till you came and rescued me. Are we talking about when God began the process of saving us from sin or when he's going to come a second time and finish the process of saving us from sin? I was bound by all my sin. Your loving came and set me free. Wait, Jesus on the cross or Jesus comes again and then I'm free, free, like totally free or just like I began the process. My heart has found a home. I'll never be alone. Next slide. Come thou fount, come thou king. That's all future terminology. That's not past, that's not past tense. That's all future. We're, we're, singing about, we're singing about Jesus coming a second time. We're singing about the second advent on that one. Next slide. Oh, to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. I love the poetry on this. By my wandering heart to thee. That one can kind of go either way. Next, next slide. Come thou fount, come all future, second advent. Next slide. Till you came and rescued me, same. Next slide. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. This is one where it's pretty clearly the first arrival, but I changed one or two words and now we're on second advent. Not first advent, now we're second advent. Glory to the coming king. God and sinners reconciled. Okay, next slide. Join the triumph of the skies. In the first coming, there were angels in the skies that sang, but in the second coming, Jesus arrives on clouds. Triumph of the skies sounds a lot more like second coming to me than, than, than like the quartet of angels singing to some shepherds. It wasn't a quartet. It was like hundreds of thousands, but anyways... Christ is born in Bethlehem. That's looking back. Glory to the newborn king. Looking, But again, I change a few words. Glory to the coming king. Next slide. Hail the heaven-born prince of peace. Hmm? That can go both ways. As he arrives from heaven. Okay, yep, keep, keep going. Um, okay, first coming. Yep, keep going. King of heaven, come down. All future tense. Everything about that is future tense. Everything about that, we're singing to the second coming of, of, of his arrival. Shining like the day, let your glory reign. Okay, next one. First tense, or first arrival. Next one. What else have we got? Okay, there's a repeat. Next one. Same. Yep, next one. King of heaven, come. That's all future tense. I mean, it, it can be looking to his first rival, but the wording on that is all second tense. Next one. 
I think this is actually, <laughs> this entire song actually, I think, does pertain. It, it's, it's from a piece of scripture, and all it pertains to the second coming, when Jesus fully and completely redeems Israel. So everything about, like even in scripture and prophecy, this is a reference to his second coming, not his first. Ransom, captive Israel, so good. Uh, I love the poetry on this one too. Okay, keep working through this one. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night. Death's dark shadow put to flight. Next one. Bind all peoples in one heart and one mind. Quarrels cease. Fill the world with heaven's peace. Next one. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. I think we could keep going, but I think just about every Christmas song you could do this to. And I think, I think you will actually find very few songs that speak only to the past. I think all will dabble in some regards to the second coming. Some will speak very clearly of it. And, and, and hopefully this has just ruined every Christmas song for you, or at least created a strong sense of confusion to say, hey, maybe I'm singing in anticipation of the second arrival and not just remembering the, the first. Amen. Let me pray, and then we're going to sing some more songs. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. Lord, we want to be a people prepared. Lord, we want to be a be people anticipating. Lord, we want to be a people looking forward uh, for your second coming. And Lord, we want to live and act in accordance with that. Lord, with great anticipation, with great evangelism and outreach, and personal heart preparation. Lord, I pray that for all those listening here, that this Christmas, more than any other, Lord, we would be drawn to the thoughts of when you will come again. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at luke at livinghopehenderson.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.